1: I'm Donald McIntyre and this is Murderers and Their Mothers, the companion podcast to the CBS reality series, which airs every Sunday from the 15th of May at 10pm. Throughout this series, we're investigating some of the world's most notorious killers and asking, were these murderers born evil or did their relationships with their mothers make them into monsters? On today's episode, we look at the case of Jed Allen, a man who, on the face of it, had a happy, stable life, complete with a good job and a close group of friends. And yet, in May 2015, he would kill his mother, stepfather and six-year-old half-sister in a brutal knife attack in their home and then commit suicide. But why? Well, joining me to discuss the Jed Allen case are Dr. Elizabeth Yardley, Director of the Centre for Applied Criminology at Birmingham City University. Welcome, Liz. Hi. And we also have Dr. David Holmes, a criminal psychologist at Manchester Metropolitan University. Well, very welcome, David. Thank you. Well, the early life of any killer can have a great impact on the evolution of their personality. And in Jed's case, his childhood was somewhat disrupted. Born in Oxford in 1993, his parents divorced when he was very young. He lived part-time with both parents. And while life with his father was seemingly stable, his mother's life quickly became quite chaotic. She had several partners in quick succession, while Jed was still very young. Well, at this point in Jed's life, his relationship with his mother is still obviously very significant. What do you see in that relationship?
0: It's quite sad, but I think Jed was a young lad who had realised realised quite early on that, that his mum isn't putting his needs first. And I think he'd adapted to that situation. So I think he grew up incredibly quickly.
1: But how do you think he viewed his mother's boyfriends?
0: Well, I think he would have been concerned for his mum, particularly in terms of, you know, the the start of a new relationship and and what would happen after that. You know, it would be plain sailing for a while and then things would go wrong. So what was happening was this this cycle of of relationships that his mother was involved in that would keep repeating itself.
2: Jed would actually take to some of these individuals, I think it was a guy called Mark. He, you know, he, he really kind of respected and some to some degree emulated part of him, and saw some strength in him. However, he he was aware of the fact that his mother had a chaotic lifestyle, uh, that she was very very unstable in in her lifestyle, and therefore with someone who is probably the cause of most
1: of the breakups. So she had multiple partners. At one stage, he must have been saying, oh, God, will you please just stick with one mm. and you know, situation will sort itself out. And But she couldn't hang on to them. She couldn't hold it together. Those relationships fell apart.
0: I think that need for stability and continuity, it just wasn't there in the family units that, that Jed was experiencing throughout his childhood. So there wasn't a consistent family environment. It was in a in a constant state of change.
1: But he is still nonetheless showing remarkable coping skills. Mm,
0: He's a very resilient young lad, isn't he?
1: It, it seems to me, but as we move on and we kind of deal with the kind of instability of his life and in essence that core issue with his mother, her descent into alcoholism. you know I mean, just how chaotic and destabilizing is this
0: well it 's incredibly destabilizing because when a parent has a substance misuse problem like alcohol abuse, what they what 've got there is an inability to put the needs of their child before their own needs, so that 's at the very core of all of these. Things these relationships it's that failure to put the child first
2: this is something whereby her stability as a person is actually in question she she is someone that could not really be relied on continuously to actually fulfill the role of a mother this is someone that would need she would be hard work for him more or less, ongoing yeah. for the rest of his life. Yeah.
1: And for me, it's not just the sins of omission, it's a sins of commission. She would be rude and cruel and, and uh, nasty when she's drunk, inevitably. But also, there's a more graphic scenes because he would come up, his mother be drunk, in the gutter, effectively, maybe, you know, in a terrible situation, and he would have to rescue her be the parent. He'd have to go and get help with neighbours. And this would have been deeply humiliating for him. And I think the, the, the graphic nature of those experiences must have been very tough on him.
0: I think so, because I think he, he's at an age at this point where he's aware of what, what other people think of him and that he is, you know, going to be judged by other people. And this stigma of having a mum with a drink problem is one that he's going to feel quite ashamed of.
2: Increasingly, Jed will be looking towards himself as well. Initially, he'd just cope with his mother and that would kind of keep his attention going and and that would be his job if you like but increasingly he looks towards himself and thinks i have not got a life i can see my friends have got something of a life i i'm being deprived of this bit by bit i don't have that stable background from which i can grow therefore
1: there will be an element of resentment building up And and we know later on, he didn't really drink himself, a kind of controlling reaction to his mother's behaviour, and and perhaps he thought he'd become like his mother. But at this stage... Do you think he's blaming himself in any way for his mother's alcoholism in the way that children always blame themselves for the failings of their parents?
2: Yes, I think he is.
1: He's, he's actually thinking that it might be
2: some weakness within himself, that he's not strong enough as a person. It, it may be that when he, he actually met Mark as one of her partners that he saw somebody with strength, somebody who perhaps could have stood up to his mother, but then that failed. And I think he was grasping at that point. He, he began to feel helpless that the syndrome that we call learned helplessness, which leads to quite profound depression, was beginning to get a grip on him.
1: Worse was to come for Jed. Janet Allen also starts taking drugs, including cannabis, and then heroin.
2: Yes, I think heroin is something of a kind of like red flag when it comes to these kind of situations. Uh, Jed would have seen this as as them joining a certain set in the gutter where you have a kind of stigma surrounding that kind of drug use. It's kind of like the final stage. It's the end of the line when it comes to substance abuse.
1: Alcohol and cigarettes, to a degree, it's socially acceptable. It can be camouflaged, even alcoholism. But injecting heroin or smoking it,
0: it's it's a new low for this family and I think at this point in time Jed is acutely aware that the family are being judged by others in the community and, and he'll feel a sense of shame.
1: And to a certain extent he was able to manage the alcoholism.
0: Well he did seem to be able to, to cope with his mum's up and downs when she was abusing alcohol but this is a whole new ball game.
1: Jed's mother also had suicide thoughts and I can't imagine she would have, you know, uh, been able to manage the boundaries and protect her children from those thoughts. And they'd be quite profound. What kind of impact would that have had on Jed?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think she would have kept those thoughts to herself. And I think in terms of Jed, I mean, he's got a mother here who is very unstable, who's very chaotic, who's very inconsistent in her care towards him. But she's his mother. You know, this is what he knows. And then the thought of her being, you know, taken away or her consciously choosing to exit the family situation is incredibly traumatic for him.
1: And it looks to me like he's spending so much time presenting a kind of going to school and managing his own outward normality. Uh, At the same time, all that other downtime where he should be enjoying being a kid is lost parenting his own mother. Yes, absolutely. His own little life is actually draining away
2: bit by bit and progressively as he should be getting more out into the world far more. He's losing that element and he's also beginning to sort of suffer this this kind of blackmail situation whereby, OK, you know, whatever you do, you don't let your mother actually kill herself. Therefore, there's a limit to how much he can kind of step forward and try and try and muscle her into doing what he thinks is decent. See,
1: he's trapped to some degree, and that will push that button of learned helplessness. Between 2002 and 2004, Jed's mother, Janet, further complicates the situation by bearing two children to two different men and in order to make a fresh start, the family moved house. However, the same demons reappeared. Janet's next-door neighbour, Jane Eilot, recounts one of the many troubling episodes.
0: The baby, who would have been about four or five months old, was laid on the patio crying and screaming. This is why we went out to look. And Jan, on the patio, drunk, Our son cleared the fence and went over to pick the baby up. My husband and I ran around to find the little boy playing with electric and from then on the anxiety set in about every noise that went on there I was anxious about.
1: Well the new start was a complete failure. Jed's mother's behaviour became even more erratic. Jed was often left in charge of his young siblings while Janet was completely incapacitated by drink. While drunk Janet crashed the family car and social services became involved, perhaps inevitably Jed's two new siblings were taken into care and the family unit was broken up. Well, how does Jed feel about this, Liz?
0: Well, I think when his two... Uh, half siblings are, are taken into care You know, it, it really does kind of mark a bit of a point for him because he's not taken into care and I think that the two siblings he was always kind of fearful about his mum's capacity to look after them and I think he knew that that she wouldn't be able to to look after them so I think he kind of saw what was coming.
1: But in many ways, David, did he think, regard himself as a failure? Because he'd been the consistent kind of surrogate father figure throughout all this turbulence as men came and went. And now the kids, who he'd formed a great attachment to, were taken away. Yes, I mean, it's... Her
2: her self-defeating behaviour was something that he thought he could control. He was trying to control the uncontrollable, and it was a slow realisation, particularly when these two children were taken away, was that he was going to fail inevitably
1: to actually make any difference in his mother's life. He was previously filled in and had some responsibility for looking after his younger siblings. And even assuming that role must have been tough for him. Yes, he, he will have bonded with these children.
2: He would, have, he would have said, oh, right, you know, I've got to cope with more and I've got to sort of, like, see these children through. You know, it was, a, it was kind of like an extra burden. But, you know, just as he would bonded with them,
1: they're taken away. Now, in many ways, his new normal or his normal was mom was chaotic, there was new lovers, she was drunk, you know, he filled in the gaps. And this was the very first time when actually... He suffered a defeat. He couldn't control and manage all the pieces on the chessboard.
0: He couldn't, and an external agency had come in and removed these these two people from the family unit. So I think he's aware at this point that there's only so much that he can do before it's taken out of his hands.
2: At this point, there is a kind of lack of control, the ability to control the most significant thing in his life, his mother's stability, and at that point, I think learned helplessness will have kicked in with him the idea of feeling defeated that he would not be able to control things in the future and that I think led or precipitated his depression
1: to be honest I can't imagine too many young people who would go through the experience that he's gone through without being forced down by circumstance the road of depression the fact if he didn't suffer depression it would be a surprise
0: yeah, I think he's a remarkably resilient young man at this point in his life. He's, he's taken an awful lot on a pair of very young shoulders.
1: But nonetheless, we're beginning to see the cracks. We're beginning to see the
2: fact that he cannot control this situation, and he is beginning to admit this to himself and therefore feels, to some degree, a kind of failure in life. And it's that sense of failure that becomes generalised towards the world, which actually falls back on him as depression symptoms. <laughs>
1: Well, despite the problems he faced at home, Jed was still a popular boy at school and he was doing apparently very well at his studies. Things were even improving for his mother, Janet, who had met a new partner, Philip Howard, and they had a daughter, Darren, another half-sister for Jed to be concerned about, to look after and to love. And yet more trauma, though, was still around the corner. Jed's mom and her new partner, Philip, began abusing alcohol and drugs, again, including heroin. I think when Jed realised
2: that her new partner was actually more of a final nail in her coffin. Uh, The idea that this is somebody who was going to join her in her abuse rather than someone who perhaps might have stood up to this and and, and opposed it and tried to straighten her out, as, as Jed himself had done. This was somebody where he thinks, no, this is disappearing over the cliff. This is getting out of my grasp. This is way beyond my control.
1: At this point, I think it was the progressive sense of failure. He had given his mother nearly every chance. He was dealing with the Alcoholism, dealing with the kids being taken away, dealing to a certain extent with the heroin. And now here comes another man who is making his life so much harder. He's facilitating her heroin use and joining in.
0: Yeah, and this is a really difficult situation for him because dealing with his mother was was quite a challenge in itself. But But dealing with his mother, who's being enabled in her addictions by a partner is is something else altogether.
1: So all presumably the previous experiences, the worst of those childhood experiences with previously with heroin and also with alcohol, they must have come flooding back and he thought he must have thought it's going to be so much more of the same and so much worse. Yes, it's a long road and I'm there at the beginning
2: again. You know, I've come through all this with my mother and I, I consider my mother as someone I should protect and someone I could, should try and support. Here we have now, it's not just my mother, it's my mother and a partner in sort of collaboration. This is something that's getting way beyond my control. I need some kind of power,
1: strength to cope with this. So you throw in alcohol, heroin and a new child, again, competing for the affections, which doesn't seem to be particularly a dynamic he's troubled with because he's more of a nurturer and he's less sibling rivalry. And he is now quite a a senior authority figure in the family. But at this stage, a little bit of depression, struggling. It's start, up?
0: It's really starting to take its toll on him, isn't it? And this is, is something much bigger than, than what's come before, so it's not surprising to me that this does kind of tip him to a new level. Now, at this
1: stage it, it really surprises me, you know, he's leaving school, he's beginning to forge a life and you know, outside of his family, and yet he doesn't leave. Why didn't he get the hell out of there, David? I think he couldn't leave because
2: it was still a dysfunctional family. He still felt
1: so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to
0: natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door.
2: And perhaps surviving it, and perhaps, you know, being able to be a family that he could then walk away from and feel confident that they could be stable on their own. It wasn't that case. He he needed to have a foothold in there.
1: It seems to me he's like an abused partner who can't walk away because he, you know, he thinks that he has to absorb it all because if he doesn't it's going to be much worse for everyone else.
0: It's the, the idea of, of it's going to be a lot worse if I walk away from this than it will be if I stay.
1: So who's he protecting? Is he protecting the very people he would go on to kill? Is he Or is he just protecting his mother? Or is he looking at Darren and his mother and indeed Philip?
0: I think there's probably a concern for, for all that are involved. I mean he's he's got an ongoing concern for his mother who who he's always trying to fix and always trying to make her better. But now there's a, there's a new child in this, this situation, and I think Jed's quite fearful as to, to what might happen to her.
2: So he's actually now thinking about the future. He's now thinking, what happens ten years hence? What's going to happen to the young child now and in this scenario? Is this something which is tolerable? And he's beginning to have those kind of... From learned helplessness, from feeling that he's losing control of the situation, to begin to crystallise some idea of some kind of powerful design that he might have, he's moving towards what we call a one-sided suicide
1: pact. Well, before we hit that, let's consider a little bit more about the impact this situation had on his own mental health and how he begins to show the early signs of depression. And here's Luke Sprawl, a reporter at the Oxford Mail.
2: Jed had gone to his GP back in 2012 and he'd mentioned he had these dark thoughts that he wanted to harm people or he considered harming people who'd wronged him in the past. And he, he, was, he subsequently had been diagnosed then with depression as a result of that.
1: Now, he's on medication. He's obviously under some degree of medical or therapy regime with, you know, the NHS. Are there any red flags, any hints that this is going to get really out of control later
0: on? Well, I think the thing that stands out for me is that, that now that he's experiencing depression, he's becoming unwell himself and he's taking antidepressants. He's dependent on a substance. Now, his mother was dependent on a substance, and I think there's perhaps the idea that, that her problems are now becoming his own personal uh, problems. And do you think
1: he's recognising that there's a kind of moral equivalency between his treatment for depression and, and that medication and his mother's alcohol and heroin?
0: Well, I think there's, there's probably the, the association between my mother had this, this, this problem with alcohol she drank to make herself feel better, I'm having to take these things to make myself feel better. So maybe there is something The idea
2: that, that perhaps... Maybe I'm slipping the same way. Maybe this is going to be history repeating itself. Or maybe, quite simply, he just simply gravitated towards the sensation of power. Perhaps the antidepressants gave him that extra spurt, that extra feeling that he could still maybe control the situation. He'd gone into bodybuilding. He'd he'd sought out every means of making himself more powerful and more, if you like, of a fantasy.
1: Jed, I see the the first cracks appearing in social media. He's talking about problems a little more open. Some days he appears to be in control or less in control on other days. But when I look at his gym, I see the gym stuff not necessarily as trying to be powerful and strong. I see it more as trying to control over the only things he can control, which is his body. Yes, but that does extend. I mean, the idea of um, if you if you do
2: bodybuilding, etc., you do get a sense of control. It is an antidepressant. It's a very powerful antidepressant, and it's it's a way of feeling whether you are in control or not. Feeling more in control of your circumstances, not just your body.
1: Well, to add to the cocktail of issues, Jed is already facing, he starts to engage and travel into the world of violent movies games and comics. Well, it's no wonder he's engaging the world of fantasy. The real world is so unpalatable, David. It's, it's not just simply that. He's not just running away. He's seeking out a sense
2: of power and control. He has lost control over that situation. He feels power- powerless. Therefore, he reaches out for what we call learned effectiveness. He wants to feel that he's back in control. And the only way he can do it is looking, if you like, into fantasy worlds where he can visualise himself as some kind of super superhero
1: who could come back to this situation and sort it out. To my mind, I'm seeing this this kid who, who can't control anything around his world, and yet he's controlling his exercise regime. And as a result, what he eats and what he doesn't drink. And yet there is a little escape into fantasy and the medication. You know, why do you think that violent movies in particular are significant with jed's later actions
0: i think it's the particular violent media that he's engaging with he's engaging with media where there's a hero character where there's there's kind of righteous rage where, where people are violent but they're violent for for, for good reasons for altruistic
1: reasons exactly. for the benefit of the all so it may involve you know maybe collateral damage to other people but in essence you know, he's on the right side.
0: Yeah, and, and these characters are... They're, they're in it for the greater good. These aren't characters who are inherently evil. And and I think this is something that that is starting to appeal to part of him.
2: He's actually identifying with the various characters, the Wolverine character, and he sees them as being a source, if you like, of power. If that is me, if I identify with that so much that I become it, then I become powerful. I can turn round to this situation, this awful, uncontrollable situation
1: and control it. And yet, for all his kind of journey into this Wolverine character, he appears to have a normal life, good friends. Indeed, on the day when he committed these crimes, he was having a drink with his friends, but he wasn't drinking alcohol. He's not
2: deluded. He is not someone who carries antisocial characteristics. He is ultimately nurturant, and that, in fact, would guide his actual behaviours in the
1: future. Well, why did he snap? On the 15th of May 2015, Jed indeed snapped. He killed his mother, stepfather and six-year-old half-sister. And after a police manhunt, he took his own life. But what tipped him over the edge? Were the murders premeditated or did he just crack? David. For me, it's very
2: simply a case of learned helplessness and finding something that empowered him again. He decided that he was going to control this situation by the only means he had worked out. And the only means was to step in and stop the progress of that situation. It was annihilated, eradicated. It's what we call the one-sided suicide pact, where I am going to commit suicide. I'm taking you with me to save you from a worse fate than the life you
1: have. And of course, Liz, when the police went looking for him, well, he was already dead.
0: He was, yeah. So, so not only had he, he stopped this, this kind of cycle that his mother was, was re-entering again on a, on, on a larger scale, he'd opted to take himself out of that situation because I don't think that he could envisage a future without that family around him.
1: Now, we know he was very troubled at this stage. And what do you think was his state of mind?
0: Well, I think, to be honest... we
1: know uh, on social media, he, you know, he was talking... There were some signs... Uh, of some degree of distress.
0: Yeah, he was he was sharing his thoughts on social media about how he felt and and I think he was he was trying to to reach out to others through that mechanism because we've got to remember he hasn't had that kind of connection with his peers that that most of us have because he's had these unique circumstances. He's that bit more mature than they are they might not quite understand how he's feeling. So he really is struggling to, to find somebody to, to talk to, to, to share his thoughts with.
1: To what degree has he planned these events? To what degree is this, has he structured this? Because when he goes off to commit suicide, CCTV video shows him to be very calm, considered, and he seems to go about to take his own life as if he was just going down, down the road. Yes, this to- is quite simply part and parcel of a plan that he had
2: put into place. He had already thought this through. He had thought through the idea that the only way to stop the rot, if you like, was actually this elimination of himself, his mother, and for her own good, the small child. It's the only thing that would ever explain why the small child was killed. I think, basically, the plan went into operation quite simply due to the fact that the stepfather precipitated it. I think conflict with him started that process. Once he'd started, he followed it through quite mechanically, not enjoying this at all. This isn't a gleeful killer. This is someone who thinks
1: he's doing the right thing and hates every second of it. Just to bring us through uh, the the murder, he kills Philip Howard, his stepdad, and he kills his mother, and then he kills Darren, his Mm -hmm. six-year-old half-sister. Are the motivations different for each... Victim, or is it all jumbled up for him? I think initially
2: the killing of his stepfather was done in anger, in in kind of retribution, in an an abhorrence. Probably for they were probably had been taking heroin at the time, uh, and these were seen as last straws. He's in conflict, there's been resistance. They have actually probably fought to some degree. Jed had the knife, he had some kind of
1: planning obviously, otherwise he wouldn't have it to hand. I mean, do we, think, do we think this was planned for this day or do we think this was a nurtured plan or pseudo-fantasy that was ready and waiting to kick in if and when there was a spark? It
2: is a plan that he had in place. He had already thought this through to some degree. He didn't want to carry this out, but as soon as he got into conflict and drew the knife on his stepfather, he was one step into that plan, and he knew he had to continue.
1: As we understand it, Liz, he killed his stepfather downstairs, went upstairs and then killed his mother and then his six-year-old half-sister.
0: Yes, it, it really it, it does sound like a, a horrendous uh, set of events, doesn't it?
1: And, and what do you think, I mean, clearly at that stage... His own mother must have heard the screams downstairs. Maybe she was strung out in heroin. We know both Philip and Janet did have heroin in the system in the autopsy.
0: It's very difficult to try and reconstruct what happened in that house on that day. But the the findings of the the autopsy suggest that, that the adults had heroin in their bodies.
1: But why would he go on and this nurturing individual kill Darren? Do you think perhaps he thought that without uh, Philip and Janet being on the scene, that Darren would be brought into and placed in care, an unpalatable result? I think that Darren was always part of
2: the plan, purely and simply as a nurturant view to prevent her from the ills of what might follow, to prevent her from a potential life that may be similar. He thought that the world, this world that she was living in, was an awful one and that none of them, Deserved, if you like, to survive it and continue it. He was, if you like, almost enacting the words of the song by the doors, the end, and I think he made reference to that. It was a case of eliminating the family as it was because... It was dysfunctional.
1: As he went off to commit suicide in that Oxford wood, do you think at any stage he was remorseful or do you think he'd achieved what he'd set out to do?
0: I think he would have been feeling remorse because Jed Allen is somebody who is not cold and calculated and emotionally empty. He's somebody who, who cared about other people. So, so I think that there was a, a feeling of, of, of remorse and regret for, for what he'd done. But I think there was also a feeling of calm because he put an end to this, this chaos.
1: So he felt he was doing the right thing. To what extent, and I'm going to give you the what-if question, what were the crossroads, decisions, the interventions that could have been made that could have prevented this terrible massacre? I think if Jed
2: hadn't have become depressed and and felt that he had to regain power and and have this obsession, if you like, eventually, of being the the superhero who had to carry out the awful deed for the greater good, I think somewhere buried in there, but a life of attrition at the mercy of his mother's behaviour is probably the main precipitating cause.
1: So, I mean, clearly after this, he was still 20 years of age, but this case, he was mm-hmm. demonised in the press. And, of course, all the seeds were there for a great tabloid story, his, his journey into fantasy and, of course, you know, his Wolverine character and his even sideburns. But to what extent do you think he's a victim? Because I simply don't think that this was a murderer born in the making. This was not a killer who was born. He was certainly not born to kill this
2: guy. He was somebody who is
1: a product of his
2: circumstances, somebody who actually stood up to his circumstances, somebody who wanted to do things for the greater good throughout his life. And finally, in his own mind, that's what he did by eliminating the problem completely.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. And it's it's this idea that, that he was coping that actually led to this awful set of circumstances. So by being resilient, by looking out for his mum, by keeping the family ticking over and feeling that he had to, is all part and parcel of why this came about.
1: So to what extent do you think these murders were predictable as?
0: I don't think that they were as predictable as, as some of the other crimes that we've looked at. I think it is very difficult to pin this down to one particular thing.
1: And I think if we look at Jed, clearly... He did have regrets, and while he seemed to have planned this and initiated a plan, although it may not have been for that day in that moment, but he did have the courage to say sorry and to apologise nearly for his actions on social media, and then, of course, we had this graphic scrawling Mm. of I'm sorry in blood on the wall at the murder scene. What significance do you give to that, David? I think it just simply confirms that he was doing this
2: for the greater good in his own mind... And that, in fact, he, he hated every second of what he did, right up until he took his own life. He did not want to put this plan into operation, but he
1: did want the outcome. He wanted this problem to end. For that question, nature or nurture, I think I know where you're going to lie on this.
0: I think this one is a case of 100% nurture.
1: Absolutely, 100% nurture. Well, there you have it, the very tragic case of Jed Allen. Thank you again to my guests, Dr Elizabeth Yardley and Dr David Holmes. And, of course, you can watch the full documentary of murders and their mothers, Jed Allen, on CBS Reality at 10pm on the 29th of May. In episode four, we'll be looking at the terrifying case of Dr Harold Shipman, one of the worst serial killers the world has ever seen. From me, Donald McIntyre.